Hello and welcome back to How to PhD episode number eight. We're going to be tackling a topic that baffled us during our PhDs and in many ways still baffles us today. We'll be diving into the world of journal publishing. Hello, thank you so much for joining us again and welcome back to the show. My name is Aaron and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Julia. Hello. And so today we're talking about journal publishing, which this process can be pretty frustrating at times. Um, So, for example, just before recording this, about an hour ago, I just had a paper (laughs) rejected, which I've been hoping to get published for a while now. Um, But then a couple of days ago, I had one accepted. So it can be pretty amazing when things work Mm -hmm. out, but also pretty... Uh, demoralizing when things don't work out mm. these notifications always come on a sunday right it always <laughs> set you in a yeah. great mood on your weekend <laughs> they always leave it to a sunday <laughs> afternoon to let you know if they reject it but. but yeah so i think um when i started my phd i had no idea how journal publishing works in academia um and but i just heard people talking about it really negatively so i thought oh what is that all about yeah and i think i was very lucky with my first publication that that went through really smoothly so i thought okay it's maybe not that bad but i think yeah afterwards i think um i had mixed experience um both positive and sometimes yeah more frustrating ones but it's just part of the job and um we're here to give you hopefully loads of tips <laughs> that's right that's right so there's actually so much to cover in this kind of journal topic uh, that this is going to be another two-part episode so today in part one we're going to be covering the whole process of finding and identifying the best journals for your research right and this is a really important process because this really defines how you go about writing your journal um, and also we cover some really important questions that you need to answer before you submit mm-hmm. so that's all today and then in part two which will come next Monday we'll be dealing about the the inevitable rejection process process which we're going through right now Um, and of course the corrections process as well and exactly what you need to do to navigate those potentially deflating moments with ease right so nicely said (laughs) yeah that's right yeah um so part one today julia let's get cracking on how to find your ideal journal So today's episode is going to be split into what we're calling five burning questions, right? And so the first question is around how to find the right journal. Uh, The second question around kind of authorship and and how to sort of agree who's on the paper. Uh, The third around writing the journal itself. Uh, And then the fourth and fifth around the kind of internal review Mm -hmm. before submitting and then the actual submission itself. Uh, So let's talk about finding the right journal, Julia. How do we go about this? Yeah, so I think um, what maybe is surprising for those who haven't published maybe yet, but sometimes you will have to pay to get your article published Mm -hmm. in a journal. Um, So you have to make sure that you do have budget for that. Um, And I think in my pitch and your pitch as well, it was covered luckily by our funders. Um, So we never had to worry about that. But I know from colleagues, for example, who got accepted at really high impact, really good journals, and then they didn't have the money for it and their supervisor couldn't get it. And um, so just... Um, try to maybe speak to your supervisors and try to find out um, how much money do you have for for a publication and if not where else um, can your supervisor advise you to get money from I think for us um, our library sometimes helps with Mm. um, article processing uh, charges and open access fees but yeah make sure you 
you check that out before. Yeah, it's just one of those things that's easily forgotten, but mm. can be really frustrating if you run into that after you've written all your, or yeah. even gotten to the point where it's been accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's one of these ugly truths of the journal publishing world. Um, and then, of course, once you've sorted the funding, there's also the question around finding the right journal. Right. And there's mm -hmm. a few methods for doing this. And so one method you can use is to use a journal finder service. Mm -hmm. Right. And all of these different publishers, um, Springer, Elsevier, they all have a journal finder. And so here you can add some keywords, you can copy your abstract in, and then it will tell you, oh, look, these are the journals. This would that be a good fit. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's another one called Journal Guide. And again, all the links to mm -hmm. all these different resources will be on the website at howtophd.show. So you can get all the links there. Um, and one of the neat things about these is that they bring all of these kind of metrics into one place. So things like impact factor. I think there's one called the site score and the eigenvalue, mm. I think is another one. Um, now, I, I don't think there's any one particular metric that is, you know, rules over everything else. It's one of those that you kind of have to use them in tandem and mm. there's no real kind of benchmark for these. So saying that you have a particular impact factor um, might mean amazing if you're in a particular mm. field and it might be less so in another field. Mm. So again, use your, use your supervisors, which is kind of linking to our next point to understand these different metrics but these kind of search engines or journal finders can help you in that kind of initial mm. search at the beginning but i think generally our advice would be to um if you first submit your paper to aim quite high right for a high yeah. impact factor um and see what what happens after yeah, that's right <laughs> and then you can always um submit it to a lower impact factor journal paper but yeah just aim high at the start um and yeah, maybe it will be successful. And yeah, I think the second point, yeah, about supervisors, they, especially if they're in your field, then they have experience with the journals. And I think that can be really important. For example, they can advise you on how long it takes for a journal to come mm. back to you, because that yeah. can vary a lot. And if they say, oh, yeah, this journal is brilliant, they come back with feedback quite quickly. Or, or this one, maybe don't do it. You have to wait <laughs> for a year. I think you right. had that experience <laughs> once where you actually yeah, waited. Yeah, I've waited <laughs> well over a year, yeah. Um, um, and I think that's it's really useful because they may be getting emails about certain promotions that journals mm, are running, yeah. um, which they might be aware of, and, or they might know a particular editor who's looking for a particular type of paper. So 100% worth asking mm. your supervisor if they recommend a particular journal. Um, mm. And then, of course, you can, you can take another approach, which is to find similar papers, right? Papers that you respect and you like uh, and, and that are in the similar kind of topic um, and find mm. out where they're published, see what journals have accepted that work. Um, and I think, and we'll touch on this as we talk about writing style a little bit later on, but that will help you know exactly how to word things and what sections and kind of structure that that journal might expect. And so mm. that's quite useful as well, right at the beginning to get a good idea of that. Mm. Um, and I guess the final point Julia, is about sort of predatory journals, right? Now, mm. um, you've had experiences with some of these, right? Yes, I think once I had my first paper published, I suddenly started getting all of these emails from different journals who say, oh, we read your article and we're so impressed with that. And we'd Professor like you. Gowley. Professor Gowley. <laughs> <laughs> Got a promotion there, which is very flattering. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's but, a telltale sign. Normally they'll contact you. They don't peer review. They promise mm. rapid publishing. Um, usually they'll try and pressure you into making a kind of decision mm. quite quickly. There is no benefit at all to publishing in a predatory journal. It's 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 purely a money-making scheme 
for mm. the person who runs that journal. So just avoid those yeah. altogether. Yeah. Um, and again, if you're confused, just talk to your supervisor. Or of course, you can get in touch with us if you want to ask <laughs> us. Um, but just avoid those altogether. Mm. And if in doubt, ask. Mm. So question number two is around authorship. So when we talk about authorship, we're talking about who's on the paper, the kind of the order of the names, mm. uh, and also who's going to contribute what, right? Mm. Yeah, again, when I started the PhD, I had no idea of how important the order of the authors is and how it works. Um, so um, usually I think that the first author is like, yeah, it's obviously the main author, but then, and the second one is also still very important. And then the last author, which I didn't know, but the last author is also um, important. It's, it's like kind of the person who stands behind the idea of how I understand it or the yeah. overall responsibility or yeah. whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think I said to myself, like when I'm <laughs> um, supervising people later in, in my research um career then i will try to like have an open conversation with everybody involved in a project from the start basically about who yeah about an authorship agreement basically and to kind of agree on who's going to contribute which bit and um, because i think often that doesn't happen this conversation doesn't happen and maybe someone asks you oh would you like to get involved in our research and you do a lot of work with them and then in the end they tell yeah. you oh sorry but um yeah we it's not enough for authorship your contribution or anything so i think just being very open and transparent about that is quite important and yeah i, I think yeah. getting that getting that sort of written in an mm. email or something that hey look you know this is the agreed order and and this is what we're saying who's going to contribute what i think it's good practice it's yeah. good practice. everybody knows and i think okay. look the, the reality is projects can change research projects can change mm. things might take longer than expected and suddenly yeah. someone who said they were going to do an analysis part might end up doing a lot more analysis than they initially thought but i think just starting that conversation just getting into the mm. habit of have, having that open and transparent communication around this topic is it's just so much better to do yeah. that now yeah. than do that later at the yeah. end it, it, and, you know yeah it's when, always when a bit um, awkward i think but i really last yeah. time i i did ask um, the person i was working with or oh, actually i'm sorry but can i just ask like if i do that and um, would i be author on the, on that paper and and then the person was saying yeah of course of course if you do that you you will but um so i think the if if you're working with good people as well they will make sure that you can yeah. talk about this kind of stuff because they know how important it is for your career right and that it's your time that you are giving to that to that project and what you were saying that projects can change that's actually happened to me on my last publication um i was only gonna be i think the i don't know second author and then things changed the person who was doing yeah. the main work couldn't do that much anymore and then we discussed it and said okay then i'm gonna take off with the work and we gonna change authorship like that and that's that's absolutely fine that's so right be it, flexible but just talk about it yeah, yeah exactly that's the key thing um and often it's worth considering that you often will need some kind of contribution statement for many journals yeah. um which is essentially what that means is a short paragraph which says who did what and who mm -hmm. is responsible for what um and there's a very standardized mm -hmm. process for this but again uh, rather than saving that as the last thing you do just before submitting if you have mm. that process going now and everyone's kind of on the same page right from the beginning uh, then i think you avoid so many awkward 
problems mm. and situations it that just allocates up. responsibility i think i think it's really yeah. good they have these contributor statements um in journals now so that everybody has to write something <laughs> that's right someone has to do didn't something just like yeah <laughs> didn't just tag on to the end exactly so that's authorship and now we're going to talk about the third question which is around actually how to start writing the journal itself so let's talk about actually starting to write the journal and for this section we've got this split again into two sections mm -hmm. around planning and actually writing the papers so starting with planning julia there's a few key tips that people can start off with uh, before they start mm -hmm. writing the journal yeah so what i do is once i have picked my journal and um, i'm starting to check their submission guidelines before i start writing so i have an idea of how long my paper should be and what they really want which kind of sections they want and then i um, do the formatting so i actually set up my word document with all the um, different headlines um and kind of yeah plan plan the journal yeah yeah that's right and of course you know again you know similar to that first uh, question that we answered you know have a look at other papers that have used a similar method um mm. see what kinds of details that they might use or the kind of info that they give um mm. especially at, in that journal in, that you in that journal to, itself yeah. exactly because then you've got a good idea or it gives a gives you a good clue what the reviewers for that journal might be looking for so mm. it's not it's not a guaranteed thing mm. that you know if you put all that stuff that you're going to do well in the reviews but it, it sets you on the right path mm. right and so you can have an idea of how long each section should roughly be as well so i think generally um, results and discussion should be the longest part of your paper but i think it's just so easy to get lost in writing so you have oh i always end up having far too much and then i have to um, <laughs> um cut the word limit um so i think yeah having um, an idea of how long each section is going to be can be really helpful yeah absolutely and as you say especially where there's journals where there can be a very strict word limit um mm. this is really important uh, and certainly again by checking those submission guidelines early on you can set yourself up not mm. to do too much work for, for no reason mm. right um and then of course you know with this kind of stuff and again we're going to be talking about this in the next question around reviewing but of course you'll end up with many drafts mm. right and many different versions even within your own personal review yeah. process um now julia you use kind of you essentially do multiple files right you i save, save version everything one. <laughs> i save everything because i sometimes feel um i'm gonna move stuff around or i'm gonna um i have too much on discussion so i have to cut it down but then later on or for my thesis for example when i then wanted to write my thesis i remember oh i had a really long discussion section um in my draft so i'm just gonna have a look again yeah. and um kind of use what i've written even if it didn't make it in the final journal version but it might still be re relevant for yeah. something else i want to write 100 percent, really good idea um so you do it by sort of yeah copying the file and pasting mm. it and calling it version two um services like dropbox or google drive they offer versioning so you can just save one file um, and they will save every single iteration of that file and you can sort of go back mm. in time and pick that one use whichever service or method that you're going to use um, to make sure that you save all your yeah. different drafts uh, and then of course you can use things like checklists right yeah. julia and i've not personally used these but you've used some of these checklists kind of standards before yeah so i find it really useful i, I think for some kind of uh, methods that you're using you might have to um complete checklists anyway and submit them to the journal so for example if you're doing a systematic review there's something called the prisma statement and the prisma checklist which is basically um yeah a table with loads of questions have you 
declared how you did your analysis um have you um indicated what kind of study design you're using whatever so i think um they, they just help you to guide which information you have to include and there are loads of different kind of checklists so maybe just um google your the method that you're using and checklist and see up whether there's something coming up yeah. um but yeah on loads of different study designs they're really helpful yeah. And yeah, we can put the resource with different checklists that are quite common um, for you to look at. All in the show notes. So let's talk about writing the actual paper. So now that you've got your guidelines and you've got your submission rules and things like that, actually writing the paper. And, and we talked a lot about this in, I guess, in the thesis episode, uh, but it's worth covering this stuff again. Um, I think it's really useful and, and you do the same to start with the aims and objectives, right? And this is really the entire story of the whole journal paper, right? And everything you write should support this, these aims and objectives, right? Mm. So there should be this kind of this kind of circular story that you, you start at the beginning and then as you come towards the end, you kind of loop it back to those aims and objectives. And mm. and if you do that, then you kind of automatically can avoid some of the initial reviewer comments around kind of what's the contribution and things mm-hmm. like that yeah yeah i also start with the aim and objectives just to remind myself what the focus of the paper was and how i'm gonna yeah. lead up to that and then afterwards i personally write the methods section i it's my favorite part to write because i feel it's quite relatively straightforward because it's set in stone you did what you did right and um, so i write that bit then it's out of the way um and then next i think yeah i do write down usually the results um, and I think the thing with the results section is what I see sometimes with students that I've been working with that they often because they of course when you write your results you're already thinking about what they mean right so and I think sometimes it gets mixed up of you're already imper- interpreting your mm, results yeah. at this stage um, and actually going a step too far but actually just remind yourself it's just about what you found yeah. <laughs> at this stage that's right in the discussion you have all the space to like think about what that means but just be clear there's a difference between results and discussion yes yeah and i think generally another place where people can get lost writing the journal is with the introduction right because you mm. there's a lot of literature and there's kind of where do you stop um, and so rather than getting bogged down really early on by writing loads and loads of introduction just we would recommend get a minimal introduction mm. down just get some bullet points maybe just the essentials needed to explain why you did the yeah. study yeah. okay just just the bare essentials needed to get someone to understand why yeah. you're doing what you're doing and then when you come back to it at the end you can then fill that in and but but once if you get bogged down writing the intro too early on you can end up losing the goal of the intro yeah. and, and losing the flow of the paper and i think the introduction is the bit where that peer reviewers and i think it happened to you that peer reviewers might come back and say oh could you please um give more overview about your area or something like that and i think that's always relatively easy to do um it's nothing to do with your paper really it's just giving more background information but i think just give the minimal information that you need to understand why you did what you did leading up to the objective and then if you have like more um space in your paper then you can always add on more that's right and of course, with references, and we said this right at the beginning in, in episode one, I think this is the first point we ever made on the show. Uh, but please, please, please use a reference manager because the problem is different journals have different reference styles. Um, and of course, if you're using something like Mendeley or EndNote with with maybe one or two clicks, you can instantly change the style to the one that you need for that journal. And in fact, 
in Mendeley, for example, you can even type the name of the journal uh, and, and they will format it in the exact uh, style mm. needed for that particular journal. So it's so, so powerful. And it can save you so much time. Um, it's never too late to start using a reference manager. Um, but seriously, We're not that being will... paid by them, by the way. No, yeah, well, they're <laughs> not a sponsor. They're, they're they just, just saved our lives. <laughs> they saved our lives. And we've just seen it so many times. It saved us so much time. So please use a reference manager. It will save you so much time. And it will ensure that you don't get bounced back from the reviewers just mm. because the references weren't. 100% mm. formatted correctly, which is always an easy thing to, to get wrong. So that's writing the paper. Let's talk about the fourth point, which is around the review process. Mm. So let's talk about the internal review process for journal papers. So this is the things you need to do sort of before you submit. And I think the first place to start is of course with yourself, right? And, and to personally sort of look through the journal that you've written and, and just go through a kind of sense-making process, right, Judith? Mm, yeah, I think sometimes, or especially um, for those who start writing from the beginning, introduction method, results, discussion, like, like and so me. <laughs> I think it sometimes happens that the quality gets a little bit worse. Yeah. You start really well, you took loads of time and then it gets worse. So maybe just um, read the introduction and then the discussion again to see, do they really match together? Do they make sense? Um, yeah, does, does a story, is that a comprehensive story? Because sometimes reviewers, I think, will also just read introduction discussion yes. and see whether that makes sense. Yeah, often, yeah, reviewers definitely do that, that they will quickly mm -hmm. read the abstract and then go straight to discussion and things. Uh, so you need to make sure that that's consistent from the aims all the way through to the discussion and, and of course, the conclusion as well. Mm -hmm. um, and really basic things like check all acronyms are explained, right? Yeah. These are really simple things that can put a reviewer off. Mm -hmm. Um and then, of course, there's the kind of internal review with your colleagues, right, which uh, you might give to your supervisors mm. or you might give to people who you work with. Um, and Julia, you do this quite often with, with your group, right? Yeah. So in our unit um, at the medical school where I'm working, we always have a monthly meeting and then we're always asking, is there anyone who needs like a peer review from someone? And I think that's a really good thing to do. Maybe you can initiate that in, in your yeah. <laughs> yeah. work groups as well. Um, to always just check and I think it's quite fair if, 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 if it's a standing order on your agenda then everybody will at some point read someone else's paper so help each other out and I think it's just there to pick up um, comments that peer reviewers will pick up um, when you when you yeah, submit it to them that's right. so just yeah use that feedback that you get yeah and and speaking of feedback we discussed this i think it was also the thesis episode which is around what we call the julia table method of feedback which is not not the most elegant name but um this we will add this to the show notes in the resources but essentially it means that when you do get feedback you you take the comments and you mm. break it down you put each comment into a table mm -hmm. and you say how you addressed it and, and you make a super transparent super organized method of dealing with each of the comments and again mm -hmm. we'll have a template up uh, mm -hmm. on the website at howtophd.show um, mm -hmm. But that's quite a useful method. To, sorry, I've been speaking about your method as if it's my own. <laughs> no, sorry, I said really well. It's just to get you faster feedback in the end, because your um, supervisor or whoever is working with you on that paper, they don't have to read the whole paper again and look where you change stuff. They can see it on one yeah. table, see how it was before, what you did to change it, and then they can add any additional comments or something. 
Yeah, and if you're non-native like me, <laughs> I think it's always uh, a good idea to have someone else proofread your paper. But I guess even if you're native, I think I yeah, still would I think... Uh, appreciate that. It can be um, your parents, a friend, whoever. They don't have to understand the paper. They just have to make sure. But, but actually, actually that, they, that, yeah, that could be a good thing is good. if they don't mm. if they don't fully know your field, that actually just having someone who's lay just have a look at True. And, uh, your paper and see if it mm. makes sense. Because a peer reviewer also might not be exactly in exactly that field. Exactly that, that, yeah. I've definitely reviewed papers for journals, which is not exactly in my field. Mm. And it really helps if the language is It has to be understandable accessible. for everyone. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, so a lot of those things that, you know, things that we've talked about in previous episodes, but really useful to cover mm. now. Um, and then the fifth one, which we're mm -hmm. now going to talk about, is around actually getting to submit the journal. So the fifth and final point for this part one of our journal episode is around submitting to the actual journal. And I think mm. one thing that we always forget, and I only ever remember this, no matter how many times I submitted to journals, I only ever remember it when I'm actually submitting, but it's to write a cover letter, right? Mm. And and nearly almost every journal I've submitted mm. to has asked for one. Yeah, so I think it's just about um, like a letter to the editor saying um, that you're submitting this paper that hasn't been, it's not under review and anywhere else and like kind of what the paper is about and yeah we're going to provide you with a template that we use um and you can have a have a look at that but yeah just don't, don't forget that. yeah and the key thing with the cover letter is addressed to the editor um and one of the things that really is important to highlight is how your journal fits mm, yeah. the scope of the, of journal. the journal so yeah. have a look every journal will probably say something about their scope and their aims and just make sure you hit those points yeah um so that's obvious for them why your paper should be published there that's right and look generally the submission process can take longer than you think so yeah. so do plan in a day or two for this yeah. right don't don't try and squeeze it in at the end of a, a long day understand that it could take a little bit longer some mm. some journals are pretty awkward about the whole process yeah uh, and it frustrates me so much sometimes that what the submission guide let's say sometimes not when you then actually go through the submitting state then they have slightly yeah, different things it can be inconsistent. it just or every time i think it's going to be straightforward and then i spend like half a day on it That's right. um and, and it doesn't feel like you're doing work so you feel like oh no the whole day what have i done i just submitted a paper but it is work that you're doing and it's worth spending the time because you want to make sure yeah. you get the best impression of your paper that's right across. And, and and definitely worth just bearing in mind that it could take longer than you think mm. um and of course, you know, don't forget that, again, uh, in addition to some of the things that we like the cover letter that you forget, a lot of journals will often ask you to suggest reviewers. Uh, and of course, those reviewers that you don't want to review your paper. Mm -hmm. um, so this is I think there's a bit of a kind of dark art with this kind of thing. It, it, mm -hmm. There's no clear recommendation on, on how to manage this. Um, but again, I think by planning a day mm -hmm. in for it, uh, keep your supervisor hand of it, handy for this because they may yeah. have people that they <laughs> recommend. Or they or both. Or want to avoid, yeah. I think because, again, that was so weird for me. I thought how you should suggest someone it's or strange, you have people yeah. opposed to. But I think um, the supervisor who have a... Um, publication record they might have yeah some good experience with some people and some uh, worse experience with others um, and right. yeah, i mean you probably <laughs> I, I don't have any previous 
bad experience. No, I don't have any anyone. nemesis, nemesis <laughs> no enemies, uh, reviews. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no enemies yet. Yeah. Um, um, but again, yeah. you know, by planning in that day, you know, don't don't do this at the end of the day on a Friday when your supervisor is not going to be available. Yeah. If you're aware of this early, then you can catch them when they're mm. still available, and you know, just little things to help you plan. Mm. Um, little basic things like, for example, with another uh, journal that I submitted to. Everybody needed to associate their ORC ID, or is it ORCID? Um, okay. is, is one of those um, okay. that kind okay. of number that associates all your papers in one place mm-hmm. um, they wanted everyone to associate that with their profile on oh the journal submission website and mm-hmm. I couldn't do that each author mm-hmm. had to do it individually which was so stressful because I only had a couple of days to submit this paper mm-hmm. so again you know just little things plan in this time mm-hmm. um, just recognize that this could take longer than you think mm-hmm. um, and then of course is of course deciding who the corresponding author is going to be so mm-hmm. who's going to be the one that replies to the journal emails and things like that if you're taking if you're planning to take a break for example from your phd or from your work or i don't know go on maternity leave for example and you know that you won't be available when the journal paper comes back then maybe it's a good idea to have someone else um to be the corresponding author who looks after it (laughs) while you're off yeah so just again things to plan things to look Mm. out for i think those are our five key tips for mm-hmm. actually submitting to a journal um i think that's that's everything we want to I say i hope right? that's everything and yeah hopefully that was helpful yeah and <laughs> good luck with submitting your journals it will find its place <laughs> so thank you so much for listening to this episode of how to phd as we said part two which covers the whole dealing with rejections, dealing with corrections process of the journal submission process will be coming out next week. Um, But until then, if you know of someone who could benefit from this episode, please do share it with them. And of course, if you do enjoy listening to How to PhD and you'd like to support us, you can do that by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting our website at howtophd.show and leaving a small donation through buy me a coffee and of course do get in touch we love hearing from you our email is contact at howtophd.show and of course our twitter and instagram handles are at howtophdshow julia anything else you want to say before we sign off no i think just yeah a big thank you to everyone who is supporting us um with donations with reviews retweets feedback it's so amazing to sometimes see the tweets where people say like oh this is really helpful um that is so nice to hear and yeah if you have other ideas anything you want us to talk about then just get in touch and we're very happy to do that it's the podcast is there for you (laughs) to help you that's right Um, that's right yeah it's really fantastic and Thank you so much again for listening. So, we will see you all next have a week. Good week. Yeah, have a good week. And yeah, we'll see you at the next one. Bye.